Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Mark and Sarah talk about shoes. That's a new one, and yet it's two old ones. Hello, I'm Sarah D. Bunting, the co-host of Mark and Sarah Talk About Songs. Joining me, as always, for episode 20555 of Mark and Sarah Talk About Songs is the fandiferous Mark Blankenship. Hello, Mark. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to an all-listener request special. Um, as you know, Often, when an episode ends in a five, we do something a little different. We, like, make a list or do a little mini ranking. This time, we're trying to clear off uh, four and three-quarter years of listener requests a little (laughs) bit uh, by talking about seven songs that have been rattling around on the list that we got from you, our listeners. I've said the syllable list a lot of times. Anyway, we always appreciate when you reach out to us and make requests. We take note of everyone. It takes us a while to get to them sometimes. Mark, can you tell us a little bit about the seven songs that we're listening to and how they were selected? Yes, because it is true what Sarah says. We love hearing from you. And just because your request might uh, take some time doesn't mean we... We record it any less passionately. And uh, today, this is how we went about our business. I chose two of the songs that we're going to be discussing. Uh, In fact, I chose No Children by the Mountain Goats, and I chose Work It by Missy Elliott. Sarah chose two of the songs that we're going to be discussing. It Might Be You, the Tootsie Theme by Stephen Bishop, and Under Pressure by David Bowie and Queen. And then we took another group of requests and put them in a poll for our patrons to vote on. And if you are not a patron, but you want to get to participate in wild experiments like this, of course you should join us at patreon.com slash Now, of the 10 songs that we offered to the patrons to choose from our listener pile, they voted overwhelmingly for three. And those three are Back on the Chain Gang by The Pretenders, The Glamorous Life by Sheila E., and Smells Like Nirvana by Weird Al Yankovic. (laughs) So that is how we came to this particular group of seven songs, all of which are so interesting. And Sarah, I think we'll make a rather interesting stew when we put them all in the same episode. (laughs) Yeah, it's, I mean, yeah, there's there's a lot happening. Um, There's like persimmons and turnips and a handful of nerds in this stew. <laughs> yeah, a, a double handful of nerds, by which I mean oh, my boobs. Um, but, and we're going to be talking about each set, all seven of these songs, in alphabetical order by title. So that's why we're starting with Back on the Chain Gang by The Pretenders. Indeed. Um, this was requested by Don L. I feel like this is definitely a uh, vintage request. Let's hear a clip and then discuss. Up in the house like a pigeon from hell. Descending oh, oh, oh. our eyes and descended like flies. Put us back on the train. So I am interested to know, I hope Dawn reaches out um, to us to let us know why she chose this one or wanted us to talk about it. I like this song and I like it better now than I liked it when it was omnipresent. This isn't my favorite pretender song that's uh, middle of the road. It's not Mm. close. Um, But this is a... This is a really nice song that I think suffered for me by just constantly being on like rock radio in the New York area when I was growing up, Um, that it just like became a little bit of aural wallpaper. And also, I feel like it doesn't fully tap into, um, it's not punching at the full weight of Chrissy's badassitude. 
with that said, I was not aware. I was like, um, yesterday years old, as the kids say, when I learned the story of this song's birth, did you know this bonkers backstory about it? No. In fact, I have to be honest with you. Wallpaper comment two coming up. All I knew about this song was back on the chain gang. Oh, I was just, yeah. I had no idea what the song was about. I had never until this episode prep paid attention to the lyrics whatsoever. So I had this journey of what I think the song is about for me, which is actually radically different than what the song yes. is about for Chrissy Hind. Yeah. Same. So, so I guess not to uh, tease. In case you're not. <laughs> yeah. In case you're not aware, this was recorded like minutes after their guitarist OD'd, which was two days after they'd fired a different guy from the band for his drug problem. And Chrissy is three months pregnant with Ray Davies's kid. Like, I didn't even know that was a thing. <laughs> yeah, seriously. The, the kid is like an accountant now. He's like, leave me out of it. Anyway, this song just like... What, what, where were you narratively with this song before you like confronted the Wikipedia entry that is seriously like the entire <laughs> book of Job in one recording session? Oh my God, it's so true. Okay, so I, I listened to the song, I read along to the lyrics, and then I watched the music video, which features a lot of guys in suits doing things with pickaxes on sure. desert landscapes. Uh-huh. And I really thought that this song was about. I'm not going to say I thought it was, because this song actually still is, to me, a song about how the daily grind of making a living destroys your idealism and your innocence. Yeah, I I thought it was, I mean, sort of a variation on that, which is like the um, music industry, like the pay-in to how shitty the music industry is song that every band has at least one. And I love that you um, clipped the the phrase "got in the house like a pigeon from hell" because that's my favorite part of the whole song. The mm-hmm. the, the exact the the full lyric there is our circumstance beyond our control. The phone, the TV, and the news of the world got in the house like a pigeon from hell. Threw sand in our eyes and descended like flies. Put us back on the train, back on the chain gang. And I took that as a wonderful description of. When you've had maybe a weekend with someone and you're completely cloistered and you've unplugged the phone to use an old reference, you've turned <laughs> off the modem, whatever, you know, like you, you're you're just with each other and you don't let the outside world in. But then inevitably you have to let it back in and then you're back on the chain gang of just getting through the slog of the day to day. So to me, that's a really evocative uh, idea that I choose not to let go of, even though I know that it's also about drug addiction, death, loss, and the incipient birth of a child with whom you have, with whose father you've had a falling out. Well, and I think there's also that, I think it can be both, because I think part of their yeah. grieving process was that they had to go into the studio with like two out of four members of the band gone because of drugs. And then the guy that they fired also, yeah, the guy that they fired, he died too. Yeah. Like all, so it's a lot. It It is. Um, this is a classic song for a reason. Uh, I, d- like I said, I did find my experience of it um, improved, I guess, since it came out for fucking 40 years ago. But it's like, yeah, it's still not quite my favorite, but it did sort of inspire yeah. me to get into more of the pretenders or learn more about them because... I don't know. Like, I I just think that there's a lot of stories there and that I maybe only know, like, the top 40 stuff of theirs that and I could get a lot out of their catalog. So. I feel the same way. I really am the most basic bitch when it comes to the pretenders. I know this song. I know Don't Get Me Wrong. Yeah. I know I'll Stand By You. And I know Brass in Pocket. I don't even know Middle of the Road. I don't think I've ever heard it. Oh, my God. So I need to go hear that song, too. (laughs) I I feel like you are in for a treat. Uh, Well, I'm I'm sure that I will like it. And I have to say, I find this song, this might sound heretical, not to you, based on what you've just said, but to those who love it. I find this song a little lugubrious. It's like there's something about it that feels so heavy to me that 
it never quite like the words don't scan correctly somehow the the it just feels like an engine that doesn't quite turn over for me yeah i, find it, um, I can see that uncomfortable listen somehow i think it's um that's related to my sense that this is not i often felt like pretenders top 10 stuff was not necessarily all that pretendersy but because mm, that's mm. all i ever heard i really can't speak to that with any authority which is why i kind of want to yeah dig in um middle of the road which i think was not a hit really um is a lot i think it reached number 19 oh, i, I feel it? like it was a top 20 hit let me double check i'll double check that while while you okay continue. i mean it's just a lot it just seems a lot more on brand and sort of like angry and uh scratchy and sort of guitar forward and i don't know that was always that was always my jam that went on a lot of mixtapes a lot of mixtapes. Oh my God, Sarah! I here I am earning my money. It was in fact a number nineteen hit oh. in nineteen eighty three. <laughs> Mark Blankenship, ladies and germs. Yes. Well, I would say this too, listeners, uh, including Dawn, if you're listening. But I think you are because you join us for the uh, the happy hours. So I think you're still with us. <laughs> anyway. Um, let us know other pretender songs that we should seek out if we wanted to go a little deeper into their catalog, because I think that would be quite enjoyable. Mm, for sure. All right. Moving on to The Glamorous Life, which is the first of, I believe, two picks from Emily J., also a happy hour regular. Hello, Emily. Uh, the Glamorous Life is by Sheila E. It is the sound of the 80s, in my opinion. <laughs> I don't mean this in a bad way. Um, I deliberately did not do any research vis-a-vis how much or, or like the conversation around the song at the time about how much Prince guided it. Like he's I mean, he's on it and he's all over it. But yeah, and he wrote it and co-produced it with Sheila E. And is like singing on it and like that's his hand coming through her elbow like <laughs> talent show style to play the just kidding um <laughs> i this is another one that in the 80s it was like oh my god like that that squawky horn i was just like i can't with you anymore but this is a bop let's hear some of it now I mean, mm. oh, so good. It's so good. Like just the particular harmonies that are chosen just are really compelling. That, you know, beat obviously is the jam. I love that lyric that uh, if you have to ask, you can't afford it lingerie. It's so good. <laughs> here is the thing that um, here is the disappointment journey that I went on with this song. Mark, are you ready? <laughs> Sarah, you need to pause this recording and immediately send a letter to the trademark office for the phrase disappointment journey. Okay. <laughs> disappointment journey, colon, there's no coming back, tiny TM symbol. Um, it's a one-way ticket to boo. So I always thought these lyrics, having not like specifically looked them up before, um, I always thought the song meant uh, that, you know, without love, semicolon, it ain't much. Like, basically, she wants to live the good life without any emotional attachments, and she refuses to apologize for, like, basically going into a department store, finding a cute boy to fuck, and doing that. And then being like, and I'll take that free La Perla bra, bye. Like, word, do it. You should. 
what it actually is, is without love, colon, it ain't much. Like, all of this, like, her big brown Mercedes sedan, which, like, why is it brown? Side question. All her furs and stuff, like, it's empty without the love of a man. Really? Like, I don't think Prince believed that. I don't think Sheila E. believes that. I don't believe that. Like, it, it is completely possible to enjoy pecuniary rewards and the trappings of money and power and not be an empty husk. Like, is there a high correlation of empty huskiness? Sure. But this just seemed like a sellout that it was like, this is a boss bitch, but she's incomplete because she isn't making herself vulnerable. And it's like, Mm. uh, that's like that. I'm going to have to mark off for that. That's down to an A minus now. That speaks to the moment that this song was released right there in the mid 80s when the conspicuous consumption was at an all time high. I can see that Prince would have wanted to push back against the oh, yeah. lifestyles of the rich and the famous with Robin no, Lake. I'm smiling. That was not happening. Don't know my. <laughs> can never not do it. <laughs> so I, I wonder if now that song would have been released without that coda. She's like, she wants to lead the glamorous life without love. But still fucks. Well, yeah, like I without heard it love, as. But still fucks. I always heard it as she wants to lead the glamorous life without love. It ain't much, parenthesis, for her to ask for everyone to not judge her for just like wanting to fuck and spend and spend and fuck uh, parley vu. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's actually like she wants to lead the glamorous life. Line break. Without love, it ain't much. Like, eh, you're so right, though, that like that was. So, Total peak mid Reagan. What are we all doing here? Lyricism. Right. I feel that this song falls into a category of songs that are almost designed to be heard live or in a in a crowded context, uh-huh. and that the song itself that one listens to alone or on the radio or at the grocery store. That's almost just like the excuse to then get to play the song live. And I mean that as a compliment. Um, You know, there are some songs that the whole point is you're supposed to be at a wedding saying woo when it starts. Yeah, like no one plays um, the chicken dance at home by themselves. Right, exactly. And (laughs) Sheila Sheila E. uh, was in Prince's band. She is a renowned drummer and percussionist. And I was reading that. Apparently, for a long time, when she would perform this, there would be this crazy drum solo that she would do at yes. the end, where she would spin around and hit the drum in perfect syncopation, like while spinning. And that's the kind of shit that I'm here for. And this song, to me, it's like that is what I want. I want this song in that type of context. I mean, it's a good song. Don't get me wrong, but I feel like give me a minute of the song itself, and then just cut to that drum break. I, I just and I don't mean that as an insult to the song. It's just, it's kind of like Conga by Gloria Estefan as well. It's like some songs are just excuses to get to other things. And like if I were hearing this at a wedding, maybe I only need 90 seconds in some sort of in the mix, in the cut uh, section in the middle where you hear like 90 seconds of this, you hear 90 seconds of I would walk 500 miles by the Proclaimers, you know, just like a little taste to keep the booty popping. Um, so for me, I, I know it, might sound like I'm saying I don't like this song very much, but what it actually, what I'm saying is this song is a perfect short burst to push me into something communal and celebratory. And that's a lot for a song to be able to do. So that's a very special relationship I have to the glamorous life. Of course, I also live the glamorous life. I mean, I'm wearing a t-shirt right now that I hastily bought at the Gap in Canada one time. (laughs) I'm also wearing a t-shirt from the Gap that I bought because it was $8 (laughs) on Gap.com. That's right. Note, we the do last not work thing I want to app. say, <laughs> we don't, but we are currently open to part-time opportunities. Uh, let us yeah. know. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if this happened to you, but when I hear the horns, I now in my mind hear, don't you wish your girlfriend was hot like me? I know it's not exactly the same melody, but it, they remind me of each other. Yeah, I could see that. Well, moving from a song that's all about being sexy and 
being awesome and being in a crowd, I think we have what might be the sexiest song we've ever talked about. It's the horniest. <laughs> it's the most energetic. It's certainly in no way soporific. It's It Might Be You from by Stephen Bishop, the theme song to Tootsie. Uh, this was requested by Daniel K. And I don't believe he gave uh, a reason for making this request. So I would, as you said earlier, be very curious to know why Daniel picked this one. Uh, this was a song that really didn't chart that high. It made it into the 20s. Hard to believe. It, it is. I know, as ubiquitous as this goddamn song is, um, it didn't really chart that high, but it was a big hit on adult contemporary radio, of course, <laughs> and it was an Oscar nominee uh, that year. I believe it lost to Up Where We Belong, but well, I'll double check that in a second. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> with but without further ado, here is a little taste of It Might Be You. Something's telling me it might be you It's telling me it might be you All of my life Looking back as lovers go walking past All of my life Wondering how Okay, that's a good line. Stephen Bishop has a nice voice. Here is the only reason this song is worth a damn, and it is this. The movie that it is in makes it and carries it to this day, and I can probably list for you in terms of like who is in the shots, their composition, what is happening, and where the cuts are, everything that is in the montage that this song embraces in Tootsie. Um, I love Tootsie, um, but, you know, this song is, like, almost entirely dependent on the movie and the visuals in the movie because as a song, it is this, like, WMST Moist FM first draft. It's the only word for it. Nothingy yes. doodle. Like, it's a doodle, this song. And... I mean, Bishop has a nice voice, like I said, but like, there's a couple good lines in there. It's just, I mean, talk about lugubrious and talk about dependent on like other social circumstance to make it go. That, like, if you're not watching Tootsie and this song is on, you're like, yeah, I'm, I'm done. That clip was 44 seconds. It felt like four minutes. <laughs> Sorry, everybody. Well, you know, also, I, this the lyrics to this song are they're a little ESL, even though they were written by native English speakers. We just missed in the next part of the song the line, so many quiet walks to take, so many dreams to wake. So much that is love not idiomatic. to make. Blah. But but so many dreams to wake, that isn't how English works. No. That is idiomatically incorrect. <laughs> yeah, like I mean, find I, another way so right. find another way to do it. Or like use the word lake or scrap the whole thing so that you're not using the phrase make love. Oh, yeah, this is, you're so right that if it weren't for Tootsie, I don't think we would know this song at all. We wouldn't be thinking about it, talking about it. Um, it's worth noting that I was correct. Uh, Up Where We Belong did win the Oscar this year, but this song was one of three Oscar nominees for Best Song that year that were written by Alan and Marilyn Bergman. They had a stranglehold on this category from the mid seventies to the early. What was 80s. the third one this year? Uh, so it was so uh, no, so they didn't write Up Where We Belong. They wrote that year. Uh, it might be you. Something called "How Do You Keep the Music Playing" from the movie Best Friends, <laughs> and something called "If We Were in Love" from Yes, Giorgio, which I happen to remember is a movie about Luciano Pavarotti uh -huh. playing someone who takes his lover up in a hot air balloon. Uh -huh. Okay, so you've got those three songs plus "Up Where We Belong," <laughs> and then you have a song that was nominated but inexplicably did not win. 
Sarah, they could have given the Oscar that year to Eye of the Tiger. I know. From Rocky Three, And they didn't. Ugh. Anyway, um, I will say that this is definitely a great example of a song that suits the way it's used in the film, though. Yes. I mean, the, the, the moment when, like, Jessica Lange is kind of falling for Dorothy, but Charles Durning is also falling for Dorothy, <laughs> and everybody's falling for Dorothy, oh, and nobody Wes. knows what to make of it. <laughs> oh. oh, now to go, let's talk about um, harsh and severe transitions. <laughs> this is a Dewey love song. Next up, we have the song No Children from Mountain Goats, which was requested by Jeff Z. Hey, Jeff. And this is one of the songs that I picked. Um, we've talked about the Mountain Goats before obliquely on the show, but we've never talked about them in depth. And Sarah, I don't know if you know, but I am a Mountain Goats super fan. I have listened to, I mean, I have all of their albums. I don't have all of their albums. They have like 50 albums. But I have, I would say I have at least 10 of their albums. I've read both of John Darnielle's novels. He is the uh, lead singer-songwriter of this band. Um, no Children is a song that comes from an album called Tallahassee that came out in the early aughts, and it is one of several songs that John Darnielle and the Mountain Goats created about the same couple. And I think it would go without saying that by the time we get to the song No Children, we've reached the point where the couple is no longer in a good place. <laughs> I <laughs> to put it think very mildly. Um, before we go any further, let's listen to a clip. I hope I cut myself shaving tomorrow. I hope it bleeds all day long. Our friends say it's darkest before the sun rises. We're pretty sure they're all wrong. I hope it stays dark forever. I hope the worst isn't over. And I hope you blink before I do. I hope I never get sober. And I hope when you think of me years down the line, you can't find one good thing to say. And I'd hope that if I found the strength to walk out, you'd stay the hell out of my way. I am drowning. There is no sign of land. You are coming down with me. Hand in unlovable hand, and I hope you die. I hope we both die. <laughs> okay, Sarah, in... Back in the back in the day, as you might recall, I had a pop culture blog called The Critical Condition, and uh, well, I know that you recall that you wrote for it sometimes. Yes, I did. But uh, about unsolved mysteries, still less. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Seriously, um, uh, you did write about unsolved mysteries for The Critical Condition. Damn, what a time to be alive. Uh, the at the end of the aughts, so in early 2010, I did a series of posts in which I ranked or listed my 40 favorite songs from the entire decade. And No Children was number two for the entire decade. I love this fucking song so much because for one thing, John Darniel is an incredible lyricist. He is able to evoke so much in such clever, surprising ways. I mean, he, he I, I, I could just go on and on about his lyrical ability and it's really beautifully captured here. And he is also able to surprise me with the points of view that he will take in a song. For instance, this song is so full of rage that it actually becomes funny. It's like the cleansing fire of complete hatred has made these people become, I think, I think that the narrator here is actually aware of how ridiculous he is because he's like, I hope you die. I hope we both die. I hope the junkyard a few blocks from here someday burns down. And I hope the rising black smoke carries me far away and I never come back to this town again. It's like, she's just so wrapped up in the joy of being furious. And, uh, (laughs) it's like fucking great. It's, it's like, um, he, it's almost hard to take him seriously because he is so over the top. And there's this concept in restoration comedy, especially uh, from uh, 18th century England, where a lot of the villains, quote unquote, in restoration comedy are just like this. They bloviate so much and they say all this crazy shit in such an extreme manner that you know that they're, in fact, pretty harmless. I've always had that relationship to this. It's just like sometimes you just need to just lose your shit so you can get on with your day. And I feel like that's what's happening here. Uh, 
it's such a specific portrait and it is such a fucking sick burn that the name of this song is No Children. Oh, God, it's so cold and horrible, but I love it so much. Sarah, those are my thoughts. Um, meanwhile, he's <laughs> acting like a total child, which I also enjoyed that layer of the meaning. Yes. Um, I managed to get No Roots by Alice Merton stuck in my head, and it was like, we oh, have no kids, song. and I hope that you will eat a bee. And I was just like walking around the house <laughs> singing that. Um, John Darniel was kind to me on an occasion when he didn't have to be. And um, I will say that some Mountain Goat super fans can be twats, and not all of you, but some of you. And I'm going to leave it at that that Darniel should not have had to bail me out of that situation because other people. For being coozes. Um, <laughs> but I will never forget that. And I think very fondly of um, Los Goats as a result. I'm not all that familiar with their music. And sometimes there is a little bit of, um, there's an archness to it that I yes. think. Yes. Um, like uh, archness is sort of a value neutral quality, but like there is a certain kind of music fan that can respond to that kind of archness um, in a way that is off putting. Like it's not the music, it's the thing in the music that is on the wavelength of certain people who would like you to know that they're smarter than you. Um, mm-hmm. And there the, is some... the Weezer problem that we discussed. Yeah, and a few Ween episodes as well, ago. actually. Um, so, and that's like super heavy massage noir, also, which is not present in uh, Weezer or the Mountain Goats, I wouldn't say, or maybe Weezer, but whatever. Um, so, I still have that kind of like bad taste. Not from the Mountain Goats, not certainly never from Darnielle, but from that fandom. Um, and uh, it's like trying to unpack like what it is that they're responding to that both makes them discerning, but also makes them dicks was sort of an interesting process. Mm. Um, but this song is really like it's just fun and it does go with that like whenever i tell someone to eat a bee it's like this completely over the top impossible spluttering rage that like let's face it we often feel about loved ones i mean it's been a long year for everyone everyone's been stuck inside (laughs) with people that they love but also maybe want to pop their heads like a grape sometimes i don't know um so that was fun. It reminded me of that uh, Oasis song, Married with Children, which I've always loved. There's something about like a, I don't know, like a stripped down arrangement guy with an ag- acoustic guitar being like, I love you so much that I wish we were both at the bottom of a ravine. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Yes, exactly. So yeah, this was fun. And um, one of these days, like it is literally on my to-do list to like immerse in the matter of like a spa mud bath in the mountain goats sometimes. So Mark, you should um, force in me to do that maybe for a future single. Oh my God. (gasps) That's a great idea because honestly, some mountain goats songs are exhausting. Like he did a whole concept album about dungeons and dragons. Yeah. That's, that's not something that you should make me. It's like, it's (laughs) like a bit of disappointment journey. (laughs) Yeah, seriously. (laughs) It's they release an album almost every year, and it's like every third album crawls so far up its own butt that I'm like, I can't even listen to this. But then there will be these albums that are just exceptional. And I think um for those of you listening and for Sarah, I think I might do this as a forcing. The album that I think really is the place to start is called The Sunset Tree. It is an album length exploration of John Darnielle's relationship with his abusive stepfather. And it's not it's not about hiding your feelings inside of long, complicated songs about 18th century saints or whatever. It's just like, here are 12 stories about my life with this man from the time that I was a child to the time that I was an adult and he died at an off-track betting place. And it's like, yeah, it's a, it's a fucking brilliant album and it's the place to start. And then, um, oh my God, I feel like... <sighs> 
I'm like getting excited. There's because there's that, and then I think I can give you ten others. Okay, I have like a project to go create a mountain goats playlist for you, Jeff. Thank you for this request, Sarah. Thank you for being open to this project. Um, I guess R.I.P. the rest of my schedule. <laughs> um, listeners, just so you're aware, um, the alternate for the October single was me making a playlist of songs that could be about farts. So <laughs> you decide. <laughs> I thought of another oh. one today and ran upstairs while coffee was brewing to write it down on a post-it. It's air by it's... Talking Heads. <laughs> Sarah, Sarah did suggest this to me, and I was like, huh, if you ever wanted to do Mark's that like, by like That yourself. sounds like something that's super fun for you to do, and I just don't know how you learned all them lines. I was like, got yeah. it. How did you learn all those lines about flatulence? <laughs> oh, my God. Ble- bless your heart. Well, that's a perfect segue, because there is a little bit of fart humor in the next song, which was, requested by Christ- which was requested by Christina A., this is Smells Like Nirvana by Weird Al Yankovic. Um, I, <laughs> it's it is, supposed it to is... you know, Weird Al Cunningham. <laughs> Weird Al Jolson. Oh, jeez. Um, sure. Weird Al Franken. Uh, Weird Al Sharpton. <laughs> uh, I would pay so much money for tickets to a Weird Al Sharpton show. <laughs> yes. Oh, my God. I would, too. Um it is um, interesting that we've somehow never gotten to a Weird Al song until today, but uh, I think it's pretty cool that this is the one of the ones. It was, Smells Like Nirvana famously helped Weird Al Yankovic break out of a career slump that he entered into after his movie UHF didn't succeed. But because that movie came out when I was in fifth grade, you bet your sweet bippy that I've seen it multiple times and that my friend Mark Paschal and I used to go around talking about Spatula City Spatula all the City. Time. <laughs> Get the city. just one penny. <laughs> Do my brother and I have See, it memorized? Maybe. Is my nephew now in the cult? Does he walk around screaming my mop for no reason? Yes, he does. Yes. You get to drink from the fire hose. <laughs> <laughs> That's where Uncle Nutsy's clubhouse came from. I would, I would rewatch UHF today. Let's I'm be rewatching honest. it right um, now. Oh my god! Just kidding. I have to go back to my home planet. Like, there's just so much. Okay, and it's Luke from General Hospital. Like, there's just it's so much. It's also good. I know. And Michael Richards is the one who makes people drink from a fire hose. It's like before Seinfeld. Okay, what's the matter? So you don't like Bonanza? Bachelor <laughs> <the> City. Oh, <laughs> um, uh, you. That being it's said, it's been a while since we you, lost it all, and I th- I think we're back there. I know. <laughs> Who better to shepherd us on this journey than Weird Al? <laughs> really? Um, but Smells Like Nirvana brought him back to commercial success. This song reached the top 40. Although, interestingly, his biggest hits were yet to come. He reached the top 10 with a song called White and Nerdy, which is honestly brilliant, uh, that came out in like 07 when it was making fun of Riding Dirty by Chameleon uh-huh. Air. But we're not talking about that today. We're talking about this. This is, of course, a parody of... Smells like Teen Spirit. Um, it's the parody. Sus- the parody subject is how no one can understand Nirvana's lyrics or what they're about. Thank you, Christina A, for this request. Here's a clip. And then there's a moo sound and then a sheep sound later. It just And there's an actual oh, cow and Dick Van Patten. <laughs> During that marble mouth line, there are actual marbles flying out of his mouth. I mean I'd also like to it's... note you had a note about how dependent this is on the visuals also. But before yeah. you talk about that, I just wanted to note we don't hear it, but his like rock scream at the end 
is like, I mean, it's, it's like legit a good rock scream. Like the thing you always have to remember about Weird Al is that this guy is really good at what he does. Like he's really good at what he does. And I will add that in person, he is shockingly hot. Really? You've met, you've seen him in person? Yeah. I, this is a pretty famous story, but, um, I was at the VMAs, whatever year, um, I'm going to say Coolio and Martha Stewart were co-presenting. Uh, I also Kids stepped on Tony asking. Bennett's foot. He was nice about it. But we got my then boyfriend, uh, I think his dad was like some kind of big wig consultant at Viacom. So we got to go to the VMAs and then we were invited to the after party where Save Ferris was playing, which is how fucking old I am. Anyway. God. Yeah. What was their song? They remade a song, right? Yeah. Did they remake Don't Dream It's Over by Crowded House? Is that what, or was that, uh, anyway, I remember that Save Ferris was a thing for a minute. And I, yeah, a if you want to Google that was. while I'm retelling the story. So I was wearing these, like, sure, I shall do it. very uncomfortable 70s platform boots, but I had brought, like, flats to change into. So I had my big platform boots under my arm. My then boyfriend and I tried to get Craig Kilborn, then the host of The Daily Show, to go on our public yes. access show. He refused. Look what happened to him. And then Weird Al walks by. And um, like this is a really crowded party in Bryant Park. So I am weaving through the crowd with my boots under my arm yelling, Mr. Al, Mr. Al, like a fucking idiot. I wasn't even that drunk. I was just dumb. So he finally stops. He's quite tall. He's quite attractive in person. And uh, I was like, I just wanted to let you know how much joy the movie UHF has brought to my life and my brother's life. Thank you so much for making it. We watch it many times a year. We have T-shirts. So thanks. You know, you're you're a gift to our culture and our family. And he like gave me a huge smile was like thank you so much for telling me that it's really nice to meet you like he was so nice and i think uhf was really a sore spot and he was really happy that someone legitimately liked it he's a good guy and i'm so glad to hear that story because it just coheres with everything else that people now say about weird al which is he's a really genuinely nice person and he's very very good at his job and the culture in 2020 has released a lot of re-examinations of Weird Al where everyone has basically decided he's a, tr- a national treasure and a genius and uh, it's easy to dismiss him, but it dismiss him at your peril. Yeah. And like th- there was that article that I think was in the New York Times Magazine where they talk about how he will work on a song for like a year. Like th- there's yeah. just like every line is like perfectly carefully tweaked and uh, it seems so juvenile, but it's actually crafted with this incredible amount of care and uh mad respect to weird Al. what do we know what nirvana thought of this yes okay so nirvana apparently uh weird al got kurt cobain on the phone because kurt cobain was at snl performing and so weird al called down there and got kurt cobain on the phone and was like i want to do a parody of smells like teen spirit and apparently kurt cobain said is it about food which was a fair question to ask. <laughs> Eat it, fat, etc. And he said, no, it's about how no one can understand your lyrics. Kurt Cobain was like, great. Then Kurt Cobain later was on the record as saying, you haven't really arrived until Weird Al makes one of your song. Yeah. And apparently was super into it. And honestly, I feel like, how could you look at the video or even listen to the song, like you said, with the rock scream? How could you not be flattered by the care that he takes to recreate the vibe of what you're doing. Yeah. And I agree. Like, uh, okay, la 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 lasagna is not necessarily where you're hoping <laughs> to end up, but it's it's a good song because he picks good but songs. But I think I'm a cl- I think I'm a clone now. Come on. Yeah. Not, that's pretty good. <laughs> like a surgeon. Ooh, famously to me, I keep saying famously in this episode, but really it's just stuff that I know. <laughs> That's a great way of building up my self-esteem. Famously, my mother's middle name is Ronell. <laughs> um, it is, though. Uh, like a Surgeon is the only 
Weird Al parody whose title was suggested by the artist because apparently Madonna was like, you should make like a surgeon. And he was like, oh, that's a great idea. So he did. (laughs) Also, do you contradict Madonna? No, you don't. No, you don't. I do want to talk about the music video, which carefully recreates the video for Smells Like Teen Spirit. And not all of his videos recreate the video that they're based on. But for me, this one, it, it... I. Although that's actually not true. A lot of them do. Yeah. Eat it, fat, Amish paradise. I take that back. A lot of them recreate the videos as well. Um, but this one is so good. And I, what I love about it, first of all, the whole thing about Nirvana and Smells Like Teen Spirit and this music video and the song is they all represented a type of chaos that had been missing from music. That um, it, the, the, the wildness and the chaos and the freneticism of this music mixed with the, the irony and the self-loathing, like it blew away the pop sheen of the previous few years. But what I love is that Weird Al finds a different type of chaos to parody the chaos of this. Like, it, yeah, it, it's so perfect that he is able to mock chaos with chaos because in this music video you can actually watch the fabric of society falling apart. And it's like he's taking, it's not unlike no children, actually. He takes the rebelliousness to such an insane extreme that it becomes funny. So like there is a scene in the music video where everyone is dancing and moshing. And then a guy actually gets his head ripped off. And then later they rip a guy's arm off and beat him with it. And it's just so fucking crazy. And then there's a sheep and a cow. And like you said, Dick Van Patten. And at one point you see Al plunging a detonator and then it cuts to footage of a building falling blowing up and it's just like the it's like the nth degree of where this music is supposed to be going and it punctures the seriousness of it in a way that is charming and affectionate because he clearly gets what's happening here but he also lovingly is able to be like okay y'all but you see you can see how it's a little silly right yeah and then it's just so it's just so perfect too that the original janitor from the smells like teen spirit video is here but he eating pulls a, a donut out of, out his... of that yeah yeah he, he pulls a, a donut and a tutu out of his mop bucket like anyway that's my little uh thesis on why i think this video is especially successful yeah i mean just like the you know it is based closely enough on the original that like you still feel the power of the original, but then this parody is like, and this goes back to what we're always talking about, about grunge, which is weird Al being like, no, no, no. Here's how you experience some joy in this genre. You throw, you dress a dummy as a cheerleader and throw it as high in the air as you can. While Dick Van Patten is like fruging. Sure. (laughs) Like throw it at the wall. Actual. I would. I think like Kurt Cobain really would have respected that process, even though the idea of him like experiencing fun as we understand it seems sort of weird. I think that he had like kind of an anthropological interest in what would occur when Weird Al was like, step aside, young man. Let me show you how fun is experienced. (laughs) Like, I don't know. Uh, Yeah. Weird Al is a national treasure and should receive the Congressional Medal of Honor. I will not be taking questions. I do want to – the last thing I'll add is that both of us, I know, also used this prep as an excuse to rewatch the music video for yeah. Fat. And that's that's always the right choice. I was reminded. I mean, <laughs> that song is problematic, obviously. But yes. there is something about – like, first of all, I still know every lyric. Possibly because I lip-synced it once at a talent show – AMA. <laughs> but like when he realizes that his hands and like the thrusting are making certain sound effects and then he just does it a bunch of times in a row and then is like, oh well, it goes back to the choreo. It's yep. so good. And that song, you're absolutely right that that song is problematic. But I will say that even watching it now, Weird Al is not. He both is and isn't making fun of fat people. It's not like cruel. The whole premise of the song is that I'm I'm so fat that you can't fucking handle me. Like he's got that Michael Jackson swagger from the song Bad. Yeah. But he's just like, fuck y'all. And like, I don't know. 
I can't. The other thing is, I can't ever not have been ten when that song came out. So <laughs> yeah, it's like uh, ten year the ten year old boy that was me when I was obsessed with the even worse tape. Can't I can't not be that when I think about that song. Anyway, Weird Al, God bless. Thank you, Christina, for an excellent, uh, an excellent request. And next, honestly. Sarah, I'm not surprised that you picked this, and I feel like even if Emily hadn't requested this, this is Emily J again, we would have eventually gotten to this song. That's my that's my uh, prediction. I think so, yeah. Um, if only to compare it with the contested um, drumline from <laughs> Vanilla Ice. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Which, that's a great song, and this is part of why. Um, I'm talking, of course, about Under Pressure by David Bowie and Queen. Let's hear a clip and then we can discuss. just such an interesting tension between these two titans and their views of the world and um as everyone knows um i believe the world is a poorer lesser smaller place without mr freddie mercury in it but this is one of the this is something i would point to as an example that bowie's Bowie's um, way of being in the song is very um, nihilistic and cynical and kind of hopeless. And Freddie Mercury, of all people, is um, is like, why can't we give love one more chance? And it's just like wailing this plea, like, why can't we, you know, why can't we have some hope? Um and it's just it's just interesting to put these side by side and to look at the way that this tension between the two viewpoints in the song never really resolves mm-hmm. like a last word is had but at when it's all over you're not sure who really got the last word because i feel like Bowie has the last word and sort of in the song seems to be dominating but as so often happens Freddie wins the war <laughs> because oh my god could that boy sing um i also recommend finding the performance of this song by bowie and ms annie lennox from the freddie mercury tribute concert because mm. she i mean she looks beautiful and she's wailing but she's also doing this like thing where she's like putting her face on david bowie's face and sort of like bending bending him to her will in this moment and you can see that he's really that he's struggling with it like this is a like cool composed knife edge pleat person who's being like licked by the lead singer of the eurythmics like literally she's licking it and (laughs) this is like the visual of that tension in this you know in the song in the writing of the song and the performance of the song anyway uh it's a great song it has a great baseline i don't buy vanilla ice's argument but i really think they should just have let him use it because ice ice baby is a banger it's dated and he's a cheese ball but it was a great song and he had good taste that is all um okay so many things One, I was interested to read about the history of this song, how much tension there was in the studio because everyone was a perfectionist about different things. And it so illustrates the point you just made, I think, about how they operate in the song. It really is two different musical minds coming together in a way that is kind of 
like it, it it shouldn't work, but it somehow does yeah. um, magically. And I love the response that David Bowie has to Freddie Mercury's question of why can't we give love that one more chance? And I just think the lyrics here are so beautiful. He or they're just great pop lyrics. He said, because love's such an old fashioned word and love dares you to care for the people on the edge of the night and love dares you to change our way of caring about ourselves. And then it's like, it doesn't resolve with him saying, but we should do it anyway. You're right. He's just like, and that's why. And he, he, he it's just, yeah, he's like, yeah, that's in the too way hard. That it's presented in this song. Get, call the limo. Yeah. I mean, and yeah. that sort of that, that pressure and that tension pressure, huh? Uh, and that tension between the two points of view, it's really very moving. And I think you're right, too, that Freddie Mercury does win the war because he's the one who just lets go and hollers. And yeah, uh, it's also impossible for me to ever hear this song without now hearing Ice Ice Baby. And of course, I think I could recite from memory that infamous MTV News interview where he explains why they didn't steal the Yeah, and Kurt Loder's like, now see, it's different. We made little changes. See, it's different. He's wearing that white sweatshirt. He's at his most fuckable. Yeah, would have done. Still would. Yeah, so would I. So there's just it's it's good. It's good stuff. And I think it's interesting too. This is another one that didn't chart that highly on the American charts, but is so well-known that um, it's good to be talking about it now. Yeah. Now, a song that did peak very highly on the American charts, in fact, it is one of the two longest-running songs to peak at number two. It spent 10 weeks at number two without ever reaching number one. That and Waiting for a Girl Like You by Foreigner, <laughs> uh, though these songs hold the record for longest run at number two mm, without reaching no number accidents. one. No accidents. <laughs> This is requested by Amy H. It is Work It by your friend and mine, Missy Elliott. Let's hear a clip. If you're a fly gal, get your nails done. Get a pedicure, get your hair did. Boy, lift it up, let's make a toaster. Let's get drunk, this gonna bring us closer. Don't I look like a Holly Berry poster? See the Belvedere playing tricks on ya? Girlfriend wanna be like me, never. You won't find a bitch that's even better. I make you hot as Las Vegas weather. Listen up close while I take it backwards. Okay, I begins to get listen me at which I I'm not a prostitute, but I can give you what you want. I love your braids and your mouth full of phones. Love the way my ass go, ba bump ba bump bump Keep your eyes on my ba bump ba bump bump Yeah, think you can handle this, ka-donk, ka-donk, donk Take my thumb off and my ass go boom. Cut the lights on so you see what I can do. Is it worth it? Let me work it. I put my thing down, flip it and reverse it. It's your primitive, it's why I need to It's your primitive, it's why I need to If you got a big, let me search it. To find out how hard I gotta work, yeah. It's your primitive, it's why I need to It's your Sarah, I have to just say up front, on a scale of 1 to 10, this is like a 19. Oh, my God. Yeah, that seems low. 24, I would say. <laughs> <laughs> I Also, it's I mean, like this foundational document. Yes. It's like the original framers of the Constitution, and then you look at all the other hip-hop and pr- like production styles that have come out of this deceptively simple-seeming but flawlessly built thing like uh, i don't know whatever money is coming in from wap needs to be driven in a brinks truck to miss elliot's house because you owe her not that they don't know that the the level of like she missy elliot and timbaland both who obviously is the producer here it's like they seemed when they're when they were working together at this period it's like they would walk into the studio and they would try these things that no one else would ever think to try, but then it would be perfect when they would try them. And one of the reasons I clipped this particular section, there's that part where she goes like, her voice is played in reverse. And then she rhymes the next line with the sound of what her voice sounded like going backwards. Like Uh she's rhyming to nonsense sounds and it's just like fucking brilliant. Like it's one thing to add reverse lyrics like uh in your song i mean which is also cool but she then rhymes with the sound of her voice being played backwards it's what great yes and you know this is just the most and the whole song all of this is just a way of saying this is the sound of the freaky world you will enter when you finally decide it's time to fuck me 
And let me let me tell you something. You ain't going to be able to handle it, but I'm going to take you to another planet. And it's just and like, it looks yes, like ma'am. It looks expensive. It looks fun. It looks funny. Like the guy peering through the bottom of his highball glass and like there's Halle Berry like, wah. Yeah. It's just funny. Like she just has like, I mean – I don't know what's it. What is it that I call it? The Matt Damon principle that it's like you should take your work extremely seriously and yourself not at all. Yes, and Lizzo yeah, is like that too. Like, I I feel like and it, there's no accident that Lizzo and Missy Elliott have that song Tempo. Do you know? Yes, that one? I do. Oh, it's so good because it's like it's right. It's those two similar worldviews working together on a song like. Also, Missy Elliott, not unlike Weird Al, seems like another one of those figures in the music industry that everyone likes. Yeah. I don't think I've ever heard a single person say a bad word about Missy Elliott. Yeah. And like even that reality show that she did like a gazillion years ago, everyone was kind of like, well, she was the only thing about that that wasn't a problem. Like, I I don't know. She's great. And I think think that she should be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame when she's eligible in like two years because what – like she – she exists. Um, I once had a drama teacher who said that um, many playwrights are roads that lead to other playwrights, but then Beckett is a cul-de-sac. And I, I feel like in a way, a lot of what Missy Elliott does is a cul-de-sac. Like no one can do what she's doing because it's so weird. Other people obviously are influenced by it. You're right that WAP is clearly influenced by it. But like the specific thing of Missy Elliott, that combination of just like out there gonzo experimentation confident rapping the ability to make random sounds all she's just constantly making random sounds it just all coheres so and to get words into the lexicon that have stayed there yes i feel like that the phrase you're from the has stayed in the and it's not even a word it's not even english it's not even language but it is language now (laughs) yeah Oh my god! And and then also Missy Elliott. I mean, does anyone not know what a badonkadonk is? Yeah, no. Now we do. And also, ninety-year-old women like my mother-in-law would know what that is. <laughs> Take my thong off and my ass go boom! Like yeah. yes, well, that's what's going to happen. You're right. That's t- that's just the news. I also love the confidence with which she says, "Don't I look like a Halle Berry poster?" Because only in hip-hop songs, because it happens a few times, do you hear people refer to a poster. Like, no one ever is like, you know what? You should be on a poster. Like, people just don't talk about posters, at least not in my life. But when Missy Elliott yeah, says but, it, I'm like, I mean, you yeah. gotta, you gotta rhyme that with something. And when Missy Elliott says she looks like a poster, I'm like, you're right. That is the only idiomatic expression that would have worked. You're right, ma'am. Correct. <laughs> yeah. Oh, just, yeah. And also her music videos, it's like she never seems to be doing weird things just for the sake of being weird. They always just make sense somehow. She's like in her music yeah. video, she's always like, I'm upside down balancing on my pinky finger while a swarm of bees flies around me. Great. That seems exactly right. Yeah. Or like somehow you're on like a set of Beetlejuice that is now a salon. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And why not? And then she pops up from the side at like 90 degrees. Like, are you laying on a table and you just like stuck your head? And then her, you know, furry kangles that you're like, oh my gosh. Like, she's just so like effort, like effortless cool. The effortless cool that comes with just being the best. Yeah, so, honestly. Yeah. Well, thank you. I'm I'm glad we ended up, uh, I'm glad we ended up with this one. Like sometimes when you shuffle things up into a certain arbitrary order it doesn't really work but um i think uh i think the um it wasn't a disappointment journey it was an exploration that's correct so thank you amy h for this request thank you emily j christina a jeff c daniel k and don l for your request as well this was so much fun and it was so great to dig into such a wide assortment of songs today yeah, and now the list is down to like 380 more. So <laughs> totally, we're going to get it done one day. We're going to get it done. Um, yes, thank you for all your requests always. And we like we add them all. It just might be a minute. So stick with us.
together Headlong into the irresistible orbit Mark and Sarah Talk About Songs is hosted by Mark Blankenship and Sarah D. Bunting and edited by Sarah D. Bunting. That's me. Need to talk to Mark and Sarah about song requests, ads, or birthday readings? Email us at talkaboutsongs at gmail.com, tweet us at talksongs, or find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash podcast. To become a supporter and producer of the podcast, visit our Patreon page at patreon.com slash mastass. And as always, thank you for listening. listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform check us out at believe.com and search for b-l-e-a-v on youtube you know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks that's what our podcast people are the worst brings you with each episode i'm rachel And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.